Over the years, I've heard people mention that they attended high school at Brigham Young High School. But even after BY High closed its doors in 1968, teachers kept creating courses for distance education students. In January 2020, BYU launched a new full-time high school, BYU Online High School. Now, students can once again earn a high school diploma through BYU. BYU Online High School offers three different diploma programs, full-time semester-based enrollment, the FLEX program, and the Adult Education Diploma program. Teenage students in grades 9 through 12 enjoy fun online activities, clubs, free tutoring, live online classes, and much more. Learn more, sign up for an info session, and register at highschool.byu.edu. The interview you're about to hear is the first of four interviews you'll see in a special TV edition of All In that will air right after the first session of General Conference on Saturday at noon Mountain Time on KSL. You can also watch live on KSL.com. We've worked really hard on this special. We are so grateful for the guests who graciously joined us, and we think you're going to love it. There is an iconic photo of Danny Ainge during his time with the Boston Celtics wearing a t-shirt that says, I hate Danny Ainge. Danny is used to being the target of hatred. After all, this has happened since he was a three-sport standout in high school. But he says he recognizes that it was never personal. It was just because people love sports, and he does too. So instead of worrying about it, Danny has leaned into that passion and in the process made a play for himself in sports record books. Meanwhile, he has relied on his faith and his family to keep him grounded and on the right track. Danny Ainge was National Basketball College Player of the Year and the recipient of the Wooden Award during his time at BYU. He simultaneously played baseball for the Toronto Blue Jays before being drafted into the NBA by the Boston Celtics, where he became an NBA champion twice. After 14 seasons in the NBA, Ainge became coach of the Phoenix Suns and later took a front office job with the Boston Celtics, where he worked for 18 years and won yet another NBA championship. He is now the CEO of basketball operations for the Utah Jazz. He and his wife, Michelle, are the parents of six children. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am so honored to be here with Danny Ainge. Danny, thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me. I know you're a busy man, and I'm, I'm grateful for your time. My first question for you is, how, how did you initially fall in love with basketball? Well, Morgan, I didn't really have much of a choice. I had two older brothers that were three and four years older than me that were, you know, real were big ballers. And my father was a terrific athlete. And so I started my life out as the ball and <laughs> worked my way up to being able to play. I remember one time where my mother was a little concerned that I was so obsessed with sports when I was about 10 or 11 and she was maybe wondering if I should not play sports, but that ship had sailed long before age 10 or 11. But basketball is just, I guess it's in my blood and it was just in my upbringing. And 
I learned more in my other, like, for example, in baseball, I learned more in my first two weeks as a player in baseball in my professional career than I had learned my whole life. And I was a good, good player in baseball and played a lot. Then in basketball, I didn't feel like I learned all that much, that I had learned so much in my upbringing that by the time I became a professional that I had learned enough to be and I still learn. I mean, even today, I'm still learning. But right. um, basketball has just been a part of me. So you were highly recruited out of high school to play basketball, baseball, and you were even recruited to play football. Is that right? I was probably more recruited in football than any other sport. It's crazy. And you initially, you've said BYU wasn't even really on your radar but Elder Marvin J. Ashton encouraged you to at least give BYU a look. Tell me what it was about your relationship with him that led you to actually consider BYU. So I had a brother, an older, my oldest brother, who was a very good player, came to BYU on basketball scholarship. And at the end of his sophomore year, I think he decided to go back home, marry his high school sweetheart, and play Division three basketball. And was a Division Three All-American. But I just, I didn't really think that BYU was, was going to be for me. And I didn't have anything against BYU, but I, BYU wasn't giving me the attention that other schools were. And I had grown up in the backyard of the Pac-8 in those days, in UCLA and Oregon, Oregon State, were national powerhouses. And I just saw myself from at a very young age being a big Oregon Ducks uh, fan and being to so many games that I just envisioned myself playing on one of those teams. <clears throat> so when Elder Ashton, I didn't know Elder Ashton at the time, he came to a state conference in Eugene. And I don't know to this day, I don't know, did our state president ask him to tell do him? Or did my father influence that anyway? My father never tried to influence me toward any school. He played at University of Oregon. But um, Elder Ashton just asked to interview me. I, I was like, what is this about? I got an apostle coming to our stake, and like, why does he want to talk to me? So that was a little nerve-wracking, but I met with him. He said, I would never tell you where to go to school, but I think that if you want to live the rules at BYU, um, you should at least go on a visit there just to take a look at it. And I said I would. So it wasn't Elder Ashton that got me to go to BYU. It was that recruiting trip that I went to BYU. It was the people that I met, the coaches, the players, the administrators, and my experience there at BYU that changed the course of my life for a long time. Danny, that is just one example of a big decision that you had to make at a pretty young age. You've had to make a lot of big decisions throughout your life. You had to make a lot early on. Talk to me a little bit about what your decision-making process is like. Oh, wow. That's, that's <laughs> challenging. That's a big question. I think that with, yeah, so I had to, you know, for me, everybody has to make a lot of decisions at that stage of life, right? We all have to decide where we're going to go to school. I had to decide what sport I was going to play. I had to decide if I'd played professional baseball at that time. And then I got married at age 20. So there's a lot of decisions that I had to make as a youngster. 
that were life-altering a time in my life. And I would say that, you know, I always want to do what's best for me and my family or my future. I, of course, learned in my youth to pray and to sometimes fast and, you know, seek the counsel of my Father in Heaven for big decisions. But sometimes, you know, and just life just happens so fast that you don't really have as much time to ponder and think of things through. But I would say that especially at that time of my life, I sought the counsel of people that were, that I trusted, that I loved, that were smarter than me and more experienced in life than me and, and listened to their to their counsel. And I've been blessed to have a lot of good people in my life. You mentioned that you got married when you were 20. You and your wife have been married 45 years? 44 next month. Okay. Don't make me older. No. <laughs> That's a huge accomplishment, though. I feel like in, in our world today, being married for that long and raising a beautiful family, all of that is huge. And you've done it in the midst of this sports career that is the kind of career that I think a lot of people dream about. So how have you and your wife navigated, you know, kind of simultaneously raising a family, but also having these big responsibilities professionally? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, I would say professional sports isn't as glamorous as people think it is. It is very challenging for families. Second of all, uh, it does provide financial security. So that is a big thing. I mean, a lot of marriages struggle because of finances, but my wife is a superstar. I mean, she's a rock star. She, she's so independent and she's very strong. And I guess that's how we made it. I mean, she, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. We were, I was playing minor league baseball in Syracuse, New York, right after we had been married and she was pregnant and she, I get called up. I get a phone call at about one o'clock in the afternoon saying, you know, you got to jump on this plane at three. You're coming to Toronto, maybe for the rest of the year. And you're going to start in the game this, late this afternoon in Toronto. So I got to like throw things in a bag and jump on the plane. And then here's this young 19 year old girl. She's pregnant. She's got to pack the car. She's got to tie things on top of the car, all of our belongings. And she's got to go through a rainstorm and across the border into Canada. She gets a flat tire. I mean, that's just like the beginning of our life. That And that is a good picture of, you know, some of the challenges that we've had to face throughout. But her strength and independence is how she has survived a very difficult and challenging life sometimes. But like I said, like I don't want to make it seem like our life is harder than everybody else's. It there's just challenges that, that people don't understand. Different challenges. Different I think. types of challenges. Yeah. And then you know, like I don't think she she does not like the the uh, publicity of our life. You know, she would like to keep our children and our family and her like out of it as much as she can. So she, I've always liked that about her. Well, speaking of publicity and kind of some some unique challenges. Once you ended up in the NBA, you faced some some negativity and you were booed by crowds and and not a favorite amongst opposing fans. Tell me a little bit about what that was like for you and also your family because that affects your wife 
and kind of how you handled all of that. Well, so first of all, I grew up with that. Okay, so I played high school sports, football and baseball and basketball, and we were a really good team and state champions and long winning streaks and et cetera. And so we were like everybody's team that they wanted to beat. You know, like the team like Duke that you hate so much, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) That's who we were when I was in Eugene growing up. And um, so I I faced a lot of that. One day I remember I I was dating a girl from another high school and she had found through the grapevine in a football game that that I was playing that night, they had this big pot of money for whoever could take me out of the game. Like if they could just knock me out of the game, then the player won this. And so like I was determined, nobody's knocking me out of the game. And so that game, I was playing quarterback that night and I was running an option and I pitched it and the guy just stuck his helmet right in my stomach and just knocked the wind out of me. I did not want to leave that field, but I had to for one play I got back on the field, and I was I was mad to find out from my girlfriend that other somebody got the pot of somebody money. Somebody got the pot of money <laughs> for that one knocking the wind out of me. So anyway, I grew up, and so I was not well liked in that time by the opposing high schools. And then I go to BYU, and BYU we were a good team in, in our conference, and every every team we played, it felt like we were their rival. People were trying to beat knock BYU off at that time, and we were a very good team. So I, I had grown up with a lot of that. And then I got to the NBA and were with the Celtics. I started my first eight years with the Celtics. And we had like four first ballot Hall of Famers I was playing with. And I was kind of a whiner, like very demonstrative player, you know, wore my emotions. Like, what? That call? Are you kidding? But I think it had to do with the Celtics. It had to do with my personality. And I was a scrappy player. A little and, bit of an underdog mentality. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I felt like I was an underdog, but I was like when Magic Johnson's coming down on the break, you know, I'm grabbing him, <laughs> you know, like just holding on so they don't, and you know, like fans don't like that. And anyway, I think it was a lot of my personality. Some of the Celtics, we were one of the better teams in, in the game at that time. And that's when it, it started, maybe in my second or third year in Boston. So I was used to it. I didn't worry about it. One game we're playing in Detroit, and um, like a whole section of people are there like an hour before the game, and I'm out shooting before the game. And they have these I hate Danny Ainge shirts. <laughs> and so I asked one of the guys, like, hey, you got one of those shirts for me to wear? And I was wearing it and shooting. And then they all like started to come down and wanted to take pictures with me. And I, it was another another time where I realized it's not personal. It's just part of the game, part of the entertainment, part of the fun. I learned to embrace that with fans uh, throughout my career. And when I got out of Boston, when I played in Phoenix and Portland and played on very good teams there, it wasn't anywhere near it was like it was in Boston. So Boston was a team that was loved and hated. Mm -hmm. And... I feel like I was a player, you know, throughout my life. I was loved and hated. And I and one time Bill Walton gave me the best compliment. He said, Danny is the only one doing his job. He's the only one that the opposing fans don't like. We all need to be <laughs> a players that the opposing the opposing fans don't like. Now that was a compliment, but that's that's kind of how I saw it too. Um, our general manager, the famous Red Arback. 
if I scored 30 in a game, it was okay. Like he'd come in and pat me on the butt, say, hey, nice job. But if it was, if I got in a fight and stirred it up, like he was giving me the game ball. You know, it was like, I got much more praise for being scrappy and confrontational. And it's hard to do. In the game today, you can't really do it because there's just video of everything. And so you don't can't get away with anything. Right. Well, I think in my research, I saw a picture of you in the I Hate Danny Ainge shirt. So oh. those pictures are still around. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you feel like that, so you had that persona on the court, seems like your personality is very different one-on-one and personally. How how did you kind of balance those two parts of yourself? You know, like I I didn't really consider myself like this, a guy that was a fighter. I mean, I, I think I've probably gotten five or six fights in a 18-year professional sport career. I didn't really ever perceive myself as a fighter. I mean, I was scrappy and like had to, to survive. Like you said, like I looked at myself as being an underdog and, you know, I had to play well every night just to survive in the NBA because the talent is so good. And that's how I saw it anyway. And so I didn't really have a conflict. That's survival. You know, the rest of the uh, rest of my life, I was not that personality. I'm more of a laid back personality like to have fun, like to make light of everything. And that's just who I, who I think I am more like. Danny, you've experienced a ton of success over the course of your sports career. You were an All-American at BYU. You hit a huge shot in the NCAA tournament that is legendary to BYU fans. And then you end up with the Celtics. And while in the beginning, I believe it was Larry Bird that says that your first practice was pretty rough. But you end up winning multiple NBA finals with the Celtics. What keeps you humble? (laughs) Oh man, when you're when you play professional sports, there's a lot to keep you humble. And I'm a golfer too, so <laughs> it's a very humbling sport. And I have children and a wife that keep me humble. And just life, life itself, life gives you losses and setbacks, and there's a lot to keep you humble. I, I think my faith keeps me humble and grateful. Yeah, I mean, I, there's just a lot of things to keep us humble. Like I. I, I don't understand how people can't be humble, right? Even even the very best of players, because there's just too much to knock us down a, a step here and there. Let me ask you this: You are a man of faith. You've devoted over the course of your career, while working in demanding jobs, you've held callings that anybody that serves in the church knows that callings can take a lot of time. How have you managed? I, I know a lot of people say there is no such thing as balance, but how mm. have you managed to to prioritize, I guess? Well, I think there is such thing as balance, but, you know, like we're, we're all not perfectly balanced, but I think we learn in Luke that, you know, that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And I've always applied that in my life. Those were lessons I learned early in life from my father. He used to always talk to me about balance. Can't be a basketball player your whole life. You need balance. And I said, Dad, I do have balance. I played baseball, basketball, football, <laughs> golf, and track. He wasn't talking about that balance, obviously, but I always did and always have and always still do like try to seek balance. Yeah, it's not 
ever been, I'm not sure it's ever perfect. I still work on it, but I think that we can try to find balance in our life. I, I think call-ins help provide balance. I mean, they, they compel me to do home teaching, can tell me to compel me to teach a lesson or to be a bishop of a ward and help people and to serve. I needed that. Like, I feel like I need to be compelled to do it, even though my heart is always wanting to do it. It's like this assignment is giving me that, you know, I need to do it because I'm, I'm a person that wants to do what I'm supposed to do. So I love callings that give me those responsibilities. Right now I'm serving in the priest quorum and I love it. We have 18 priests and, you know, it's so much fun. But through the busiest times where, again, being surrounded by just so many great people, I'm sure every bishop would say that, like, oh, yeah, my Relief Society president was amazing. My counselors were incredible. And and I was just surrounded by really good people that allowed me to serve in the small part that I was doing and the bigger parts that they were doing. So I'm just grateful that I've been feel like my whole life I've been surrounded by good people. In terms of being a man of faith within a world, I, I would imagine that the sports world is not squeaky clean. And so how have you managed to maintain your standards? And also, have you had opportunities either as a player or as an NBA executive to talk about your faith with those that you're around? Yeah, I think in in uh, in mostly a non-denominational way of talking about faith and talking about God and talking about balance and finding something else in your life, I've had many conversations with teammates, um, players I coached, players I managed. Most of them don't really want to hear about me or my life or my experiences, or um, but. There's been players along the way that have said, like, no one's ever talked to me that way before. So I've had some really good experiences that way. And I feel like more than anything, um, I think my people that I've worked with, from my teammates, um, it, all the way through my career, I think they know that I've lived my faith. And I think that they've respected it, even though they've made fun of this or that. It's been, I think that um, because I've been able to further my career and go on and have teammates in times of trouble, uh, you know, reach out to me and seek some advice or counsel, or I feel like my faith has led me to different opportunities in life and, and, but more than anything, Morgan, it's just like I'm just happier. Like I don't have to deal with so many of the things that I've seen other people deal with, and not just in sports. I mean, I know sports is not a squeaky clean in a world, but the world isn't in any jobs. The temptations are out there in any profession, but having a good marriage and a strong wife and like I said earlier, I was surrounded by lots of good people early in my life, I think has helped me just stay the course. That's awesome. You were named head coach of the Phoenix Suns. You were there for three seasons, and then you stepped down, citing a need to spend more time with your family. You said everything had gotten out of balance. 
Talk to me about making that decision and how that shaped kind of your life in the years since. I never really thought that I was going to go be an NBA head coach when my career ended. The owner of the Phoenix Suns, Jerry Colangelo, asked me to coach like at a very early age, just a year after being out of the NBA, with no coaching experience whatsoever, other than a little CYO basketball. <laughs> but I felt like, why not? Let's give it a try. I live in Phoenix. Here's an opportunity to coach the Suns, which I had just finished my career with. And so I gave it a try. I liked a lot of things because I really like the players. Like, you know, guys in my generation, they're, you know, talking about the players of this generation in not such a great fashion. I see the players of today as just as much fun and they work harder than we worked as players. And anyway, I enjoy it. They keep me young. I, I really like their personalities and I love their dedication to the game. So I said, well, I'm going to coach. So I was enjoying it. It was really hard. It was really stressful. I had six kids in school at the time at home. And you know, I put my wife through a lot in just my playing career. And now she's the wife of a coach. And, and so we had a, an NBA lockout, a, a work stoppage. And during that stoppage, I knew then that I should not be coaching. But... I was making more money than I'd ever made in my life. I was, our team was getting better and better. And those temptations just like kept me staying with coaching. So I'm going to try it again. And, uh, but that experience in that lockout probably changed everything. I knew that, that I needed to not be doing that. And we started the next season out. So I'm starting in my fourth year of coaching and knowing that I probably shouldn't be doing this or I've had that impression. And so, but I still do it. And early in the season, our team is playing pretty well. And I just, I'm at a game and I just like, what are you doing? And so I just went to the owner and said, you know, my assistant coach is great. He can do this easily in his sleep and I need to be home. So what I found out about that experience is I actually thought that my family needed me and I needed to be home more. And But what I really discovered after I left coaching was my family was doing okay. My wife was a great parent. And I mean, I was, a, I was a good parent. I wasn't as good a teammate with my wife just because I was always gone and, you know, obsessed with my coaching but I was listening to general conference and I was taking my messages to my team, you know, like I needed to be taking those messages to my family. And, but that was just one example. Anyway, I left coaching and I found out that my, my family was doing fine and I needed them. Like I was missing out all the things I discovered, how much I was missing out on while it, we were in a work stoppage. Anyway, I loved that discovery and that was a fun time of when I left coaching and I went into television at that time in all the times I've made changes in my life so I never really knew what the next phase was but I didn't know what I was going to do when I left coaching but I knew I needed to be home more and it was for me right not for them like they were doing fine kind of an opportunity it sounds like to reevaluate and make some changes that would 
affect your family in the future or affect you in the future? Yeah, I mean, listen, I, I, coaching, I, I've, worked, I've been as a player um, for 18 years. I coached for three and a half years, and I've been an executive for over 20 years. And it was only in those few years of coaching that I didn't feel like I had some semblance of balance. And, yeah, that maybe that's what, what it was. So you go to TV from there, and then you end up becoming an NBA executive, which is what you've been doing for years now. But just in the last little bit, you made a big change. You moved your, you and your wife moved from Boston to Utah. You retired from the Celtics and then soon thereafter took a job with the Utah Jazz. Talk to me about that decision to make that change. Yeah. So, you know, again, when I left Boston, you know, it was something that I had been contemplating for quite a while, but I just felt like it was the time, a time to go. I mean, Boston, again, I felt if it was in a bad situation, I wouldn't have wanted to leave, but I wanted to move away from and leave it in a good place. I felt like our organization, the front office, the coaching, like everything was, was pretty well set up. And when I walked away from the Celtics, but now I wasn't planning on moving to Utah as soon as we did. I was planning on staying in Boston more. My, my wife is, you know, very involved in the community. She has lots of friends back there. She loves her tennis at the, <laughs> at the club. So like we were going to hang around Boston for a while longer in this, in a tra- in the transition, whatever that transition was. So our family circumstance kind of sped up that process of coming out to Utah. We were planning on maybe coming six or months or a year later, and um, we ended up coming more immediately out to Utah. So once I got to Utah, now I've been friends with Ryan Smith for years. He's wonderful. He's a great guy. We're very good friends. And I've talked with Ryan in the past year or two years um, before I left Boston as his dream Uh, Once he sold Qualtrics, his dream was to buy an NBA team. So I've been helping him, mentor him, telling him what to look for, talking to him about the personalities, the process. But I wasn't ever planning on working for him. I was planning on coming to Utah, moving to Provo, which we did, going to BYU soccer games and football games and baseball games with my wife. And I have a lot of friends at the country club down here that play golf that are my buddies and so that was the life I was looking for in transition to something else. I, I knew there would be something else that I would want to do. I just didn't know what. But NBA general manager was not on my plate uh, in my mind. So anyway, I get out to Utah and Ryan is now pushing me to try to work for him. And I'm saying, Ryan, like I'm here for you. I want you to succeed, but you don't need to hire me. You know, I'll be your friend. I'll help you in any way you can, but I don't need a job. And um, anyway, he, he trapped me a couple times as he like took me on his plane to go play golf somewhere. And he had Tony Finau with him. And they were like <laughs> trapping me in the corner and saying, here's what we need you to do. And so uh, just wanting to help Ryan, it kind of came clear. Maybe I should do something, but I need to do it on my terms because I don't want to get back into the stress that I had in in Boston for so many years. And so we worked out a deal. We worked out kind of how I could help him. And 
he says, I'm okay, let's do it. And here I am. Well, you've done an awesome job already. And I think it's been, it's been fun to be a, to be a jazz fan right now. So thank you for that. Danny, on your Twitter profile, you have an interesting scripture reference. And I'm just curious about what led you to put this scripture. So it's the scripture from the Book of Mormon that says, I know that God loveth his children. Nevertheless, I do not know the meaning of all things. What is it about that scripture that speaks to you? So, you know, we live in this world where everybody is trying to tell us what we should believe. And there's so many experts, you know, like I feel like I'm an expert in basketball, but I don't feel like I know more than everybody else. There's a lot to be learned from everybody, but I feel like the same thing in religion and in the scriptures. I love the scriptures, but that scripture to me epitomizes my personality. I don't, I don't know the meaning of all things. I have enough faith in people that I trust, that I love, that I've learned in all the callings I've worked in in the church. I've had so many people that have helped me understand, people that I want to emulate in their lives, people that are just shining their light that have been big influences on me in my life. And I know that God loveth his children. And, you know, coming from Nephi— who is one of the most obedient people. We all strive to be obedient as Nephi. Um, I thought it's just an amazing, amazing quote. I don't know the answer to these things. That's why I'm seeking answers all the time in Nephi's perspective. And, and yet he knows that God loves his children. And he loves all of his children, I would add. So, um, it has, it's, just a, it's a scripture that resonates with me. Danny, as you look back on your life, how can you see that the Lord has been able to use you? How do you feel like you've been able to be an instrument for good in His hands? How would you express your gratitude for those opportunities that I'm sure in many ways have exceeded what you imagined? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I would just emphasize the the lights and people. I mean, I, when I was in minor league baseball, I had a kid who came down who was a, uh, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Garth Orge was playing in the major leagues, and I'm in the minor leagues. And I'm a young kid playing there, and it's a hard life for me in, in the beginning. Not the playing as much as just the life and everything Brian. around it. And so Garth gets sent down from the trip from the major leagues to the AAA. And we hit it off immediately. And he sees some things I'm going through. And he helps me. And it like it shaped me for a long time as I go into a professional career. I just feel like I've had people bless my life all the time throughout my life, including we talked about Marvin J. Ashton, but my high school coach, my college coach, nobody more than my wife and her family and her brothers and, you know, my big brothers, I've just been fortunate that I've had good people to, you know, kind of keep me focused and keep me headed in the right direction. And uh, who knows where your life goes, you know, right? Like at all these different crossroads in your youth and, your, you know, you, there's, there's pivotal moments in our life, defining moments. And uh, I just feel like there have been 
angels waiting for me, directing me in certain ways. And not just as a player, but just in life. And I am always grateful for those people that have helped shape my life. Well, I I think that's a credit to your humility as well. So thank you so much. My last question for you, Danny, is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, Morgan, when I first heard you ask that question, when I listened maybe to your first podcast that, that I listened to, the first thing that came to my mind in uh, for me is being a sports freak myself is all in means all in no matter what. All in in every circumstance. And when you're on a team and you have tough losses and you don't get the role you want and you don't get the shots you want, you don't get the credit you deserve or you, you feel like you deserve, but you're still all in with the team. So when I think of when you when you say all in, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Am I all in the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what the losses are, the losses in life that that I'm responsible for, the losses that happen as a result of just living in this world. And so, yeah, I'm all in. I'm all in on um, keeping my covenants. I'm all in on being a disciple of Christ. I'm all in on doing what I can to have as much faith, hope, and charity that I can. Thank you so much, Danny. It's been such a treat to be with you, and I appreciate your time. Thank you. I enjoy your podcast. It's good. Thank you. Thank you for the work that you're doing. We are so grateful to Danny Ainge for joining us for this special TV edition of All In. Be sure to tune in Saturday at noon Mountain Time right after the first session of General Conference to watch the whole special, and we hope that you love it.